0: Father in heaven, what we hold in our hands is not just another page or another um, electronic device or just some words on it. Um, We know that your word is living and powerful and sharper than a double-edged sword. So we want to handle it with care, with a certain amount of reverence, because we know it could cut, but it wouldn't cut just skin deep, it will cut to our hearts. And so we pray now, Lord, you would do the work, the spiritual surgery work that needs to be done. And uh, may we come away from here as better people than when we walked in, more like your son Christ. Thank you for him. In his name we pray, amen. The series is called Wise Moves in Life, and um, we work hard, really hard around here to be kind and patient and gentle, right? We're always, you, you be kind, you is kind, right? Yeah, you just you work hard at that, and we always recommend that. And we never want to be haters, and we don't want to be known as haters. Sometimes Christianity gets known, become known as, oh, they're a bunch of haters. And I don't want that to happen. But we, we work hard at the good things, but there are a few things that we really should hate, believe it or not. And not just avoid, or not just kind um, of get around but truly hate. Because there are a handful of things that God says he hates. And I want to hate what he hates. Not just um, like avoid or discourage, but I mean buck. I mean energetically, emotionally, with all of our energy, hate. Just like repulsed by it. And the reason God gets so emotionally charged with this is because he knows how we're wired because he put us together, so he knows what's best for us, and so not only does he know this isn't these things are not good for us, he also knows they'll, they have the potential to absolutely destroy us. Therefore, in his protective mode, because he loves us, he hates these things, and he is soft-hearted and gentle and patient with us, and yet his commands are his commands. And so the wise move that we would be taking today would be to hate what God hates there it is hate what God hates while uh, while writing about this Billy Graham gave us these few lines I want to read them they're so good I tell you that God hates sin just as a father hates a rattlesnake that threatens the safety and life of his child God loathes evil and diabolical forces that would pull people down to a godless eternity just as a mother hates a venomous spider that is found playing on the soft, warm flesh of her little baby. You hate it, right? Kinda got that. It is his love, that's God's love for man, his compassion for the human race that prompts God to hate sin with such a vengeance He gave heaven's finest that we might have the best. And he loathes with a holy abhorrence anything that would hinder our being reconciled to him. Do you get that? He loathes it with an abhorrence, anything that would keep us from being reconciled. So he hates certain things, and, and and he does it because he loves us. Like a dad or a mom protects the baby. God wants to protect us. Now... Interestingly, before we get into the uh, list, there are six things the Lord hates, seven are an abomination to him. Interestingly, people are not on the list. Not on the list. Actual people. So hating people is not what God is about. What he hates are certain actions of people. What he hates are certain attitudes. Well, now you're getting closer to me, closer to you, right? I mean, it's easier just to go hate people, right? Right? He knows that we're not capable of possessing these traits, these sins, without hurting ourselves and without hurting other people. So God hates them in order to protect us because he loves us. And he hates whatever is going to harm us. So here we go. Chapter 6, verse 16. There are six things the Lord hates. Seven are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness that pours out lies, and a person that stirs up conflict in the community. Here's the wise move. The wise move is to hate, get get in our head, kind of register these, lock these in. This is what God hates, this is what I'm gonna hate. I'm gonna go after these with a vengeance. Why? Because I know God loves me, he's out for my best let's break them down a bit. Number one, pride. The haughty eyes, prideful eyes. Um, Proverbs 16 puts it this way. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall. Pride leads the rebellion out of heaven. Pride will keep you from getting into heaven. Lucifer rebelled and, and, and he took a host of angels with him. God would not stand for it. You mark it down. God does not think kindly even for a moment about pride. We want pride because we want to hang on to our dignity and God says humble yourself. I'll take care of your reputation. You take care of your humbling. Humble yourself before almighty God. I will lift you up at the right time. Pride will keep us out of heaven. You don't want that so we have to admit that we're broken and sinful and, and that's humbling. Well when we lay aside our pride God offers us amazing grace. Amazing grace. Secondly, not just pride, but there's lying, a lying tongue, look at it, verse 17. Isn't it, strange that, isn't it strange that we don't have to ever teach our children to lie? Okay, kids, come here, I'm gonna teach you how to lie today. No, we don't have to teach them that. Why? Because they're naturally bent to cover their own selves. And Satan is the father of lies. When you hear that, that helps us to realize just how bad lying really is. So we have to call it for what it is and call it for whom it comes from. Satan is the father of lies. That's his native tongue. That's his language. Have you ever, um, have you ever uh, read someone and then you hear them speak and you're he's not from here. It's, it's different. It just happened to me. I was watching um, a TED Talk. I was this guy I've read before. He's really good. And then when I see him on a TED Talk, I, he's not from here. And he's not that, this is not English, because that's not what we speak in the U.S. We speak American, whatever. It's kind of a, sorry, but kind of a dumbed-down English version. All the British right there are going, amen, because we butcher the language. But have you ever had that where you realize the accent? You could tell where people are from, corners of the world. Guess what corner Satan comes from? The corner of lies. That's his native tongue. And even when he tries to disguise it, it still comes from the pit. So call it for what it is. And what we need from the Father in heaven is truth. And he gives us that in the person of Jesus. So keep falsehood. Keep that from far from us. Proverbs chapter 30. Give me neither poverty or riches, but give me only my daily bread. If you, if you want to keep reading that, um, Proverbs 30. It's, it's a great little passage. If I'm rich, the Proverbs will say, then I won't trust you. If I'm poor, I might be tempted to steal. So what's, what's the proverb? Like, just keep me right there but don't ever let me be a liar always tell the truth thirdly there's this thing called killing or the shedding of innocent blood exodus 20 really lays the law down on this do not murder but proverbs 17 will restate it acquitting the guilty and condemning the innocent the lord he detests both of those so either letting go someone who's guilty or making a charge against someone who's innocent and condemning them, that's not good either. The Lord hates that. He detests that. Don't. What's the bigger point? Don't take life into your own personal hands. Why? Because it's too valuable for that. Now, right now, some of you are going, you know, I didn't do so well on that pride one, and I didn't do so well on that line, but dang it, I've never shot anybody. I've never killed anybody. Not intentionally anyway, I mean, I've done some bad things in my life, but I'm not a murderer. So I I got one of them, but not so quick, because later the Bible would tell us that even with your attitude, the roll of your eyes, the slip of your tongue, you can kill someone with your, your voice. You can knock someone on the ground just with your attitude. And uh, 1 John chapter 3, anyone who hates his brother or sister, John writes, is a murderer. You're killing him off. You know that no murderer resides in heaven It, it, it is it is meant for the kingdom. You know that. So even though we'd like to think we could check this one off, understand this. Even murderous kind of poisonous talk, even bitter language, strife-laden words, laden words can kill a relationship. And both the Old Testament and the New Testament seem to confirm this. But you know it to be true. And you know it to be true experientially. So do I. When you've been verbally, um, uh, verbally violent or verbally strong and nasty or bitter, and then, then it comes back at you. It comes back at you. And you realize, my gosh, I'm getting the same bullets I shot, and they're coming back on me now. Um, So watch your hands and watch your mouth and watch your attitude, watch your heart. Why? Because you could be shedding innocent blood. You could be draining someone's life. And maybe not even intentionally, but it still happens. Killing. Number four, there's the sinful schemes. It's a heart that devises wicked schemes. And while we're judged by our attitudes... Our, our actions, it, those actions come from our attitude, from our hearts. So take inventory on where your mind goes. That's why I, I always recommend when people are, are struggling with this, to memorize, just memorize Second Corinthians chapter 10. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against God, and we bring into captivity, in other words, we hold it down, we set it in front of us, and we make every thought obedient. Is this the thought Jesus would think? No, then I can't be thinking that. Gotta get rid of it. Bring every thought obedient to Christ. And why is that so important? And here's the reason. I've talked about this a couple weeks ago. Thinking will eventually develop into feelings. And then what feelings will do is they will develop a bit of attitude or posture. And that's when you begin to really lie to yourself. Well, it's not so bad. And it's in that self-talk time that then you live it out in action. Now, you don't get in trouble until the action, but it all started back here at the feeling, and then back before the feeling, even in your thinking. And so the sinful schemes, my word to you is this. Take a hold of the lock of what you're thinking about when you're not thinking about anything. Where does my mind wander? And not to justify your feelings, not to justify your actions, but ask yourself, What am I really thinking about and how healthy is that? The plans of the righteous are just, Proverbs 12, but the advice of the wicked, even their advice is deceitful. Don't take even their advice. So sinful schemes. Number five. It's, It's this attitude of being openly sinful. Feet that are Quick to rush into evil. Feet that are quick to rush into evil. Stop right there. Let me just tell you. This is the word picture. In our modern day, it would be kids who circle up around the fight. You seen that before? You can't get into the fight to stop it. Why? Because kids are protecting the fight that's happening. They're not the fight. But they're circling it around to keep those from stopping it now those kids will eventually grow up And guess what they'll do they'll protect the rioters they'll protect people from uh street officers from breaking up the fight or from stopping the robbery or from stopping the crime why because they block in the way so their feet are quick to rush into evil um, uh, we live in the district and we all know uh you ever heard of gapers delay It's where there's a wreck on the highway, and then, uh, so they have to pull people over, and then they have a tow truck, and they're taking away the cars. So then other cars have to go around on the side, and inevitably, someone who drives around on the side can't drive without, like, staring at it. You know what I'm talking about? And it it reminds me, and I wanted to play this ad, but there's so many of them, and it's this guy, and it's it's an insurance ad, and he goes, so you don't have mayhem just like me? You seen those ads? And one time he's a crying baby in the back, another time he's a tailgater, another time he's just bad electrical in the house. But he's just mayhem, just like me. And so the guy who's driving is not in the wreck, but he's looking at the wreck, and what does he do? He plows into the car in front of him and creates another delay. Why, because he was looking instead of driving. Understand this, you may innocently just be looking and not realizing you're actually protecting evil. Go back to the text now. Feet that are quick to rush into evil. you watch it. There's a fascination with it. And it's not flagrantly, you're not flagrantly involved. You just like to see it. And that's why, uh, go back to the Proverbs now. The wicked, Proverbs 2, wicked men delight in doing wrong. They, they actually rejoice in the perverseness of evil. So, do you get that? They delight in it. Some defend their sinfulness, and Jesus paid for that sin. But I don't want you to ever cheapen that grace. And by the way, some will take delight in sin today, and that's where culture moves. But and God hates the sin, always has, always will. There are times, though. I if, I don't know if this has ever happened with you. My heart will jump. In fact, it will like it will not break, but it will um, it will ache a bit because I'll see someone. Who violates the law of God and does it publicly and sassy with attitude and a bit of a curse on their lips against God. And I realize they're cursing God with breath that God gave them. Is that, is that, you ever had that realization before? Like that person is being cocky or nasty at God. And he's living that out with the very strength that God gave him for this day. What a scary place to be. And in light of Proverbs, wicked men delight in doing wrong. They rejoice in the perverseness of evil. I wanna get away from that. I wanna get away from that. I, I wanna hate that. Not hate the people, but I wanna hate that. Openly sinful. Number six, plotting sin. Just a false witness that pours out lies. This is deliberate tearing down of another. It's premeditated, it's just, it's just pouring out lies. Calculated evil intent. It, and by the way, I, this phrase, pouring out lies, actually repeats itself through Proverbs. <laughs> that actual phrase, pouring out lies. Why is that? Because if you've ever been caught in a lie, you know it, here's what happens. You tell a lie and then you, when you're a kid, your parents would check up and you'd go, oh yeah, well, this is what, then you had to tell another lie to cover that lie. You know what I'm talking about? And the next thing you know, you're, you had to tell another lie to cover the second lie. And you're, you're building a construct. And I was about 16 years old when I came to the realization, I'm not smart enough to be a liar because I can't untangle this. I can't remember everything that I said. And then I remember my dad saying, you are not smart enough to be a liar, Dave. <laughs> I hate to tell you, but uh, you didn't get brains or good looks, and so you're, you're gonna have to make it do. He didn't say that, but he said, you're not smart enough to be a liar. I realized, oh my word, it's true. I don't know about your locker room. I, I did a lot of sports in high school, but there were these posters in a locker room. One of them was, you don't have to remember what you said if you told the truth. You know, it's one of the things about sports that just, you're, you're told to do this job or run this way or play, play this play, and you don't have to remember if you just tell the truth. Just do what you're supposed to do. Okay, now going back to that text again. That person that tells the lies and, and, and plots sin, it's just, uh, it, it's gonna pile up because one goes to another, goes to another, goes to another. And that's why, that's why Solomon uses the word, the word picture, pouring. Because now lies just pour out. Why? Because you have to cover. So the, the only way you can stop that is to not do the first one. Don't even start the first one. Okay, that's six. Now number seven. Divisiveness. A person who stirs up conflict in the community. God hates it when men and women sow discord. Particularly among the family of believers, but anywhere, really. Um, And we rarely hear of a a slanderer being rebuked. Um, But it is like, it's deadly, like the sword. The words are wounding. A troublemaker, Proverbs 6, plots with evil deceit in his heart. He's uh, always stirring up conflict. That's why uh, that's why paul would later say to christians you warn a divisive person and then you warn him again titus 3 and then you get away from him why because he's divisive he's divisive um you know there's um there are certain tags that we we use with people like a uh, vip very important person right or a very problem person You need to also have in your head, there's the very divisive person. And they're the person that talks about whoever's not in the circle at the time. And it may seem good to you at the moment, just know there will be a day when you aren't in the circle. And guess what they'll be talking about? Yeah. So, get away. That's why Paul says, warn them once, warn them twice, distance yourself, why? because you can't be around that without it hurting you. So, there's the seven. Now there's three realizations from this, three really great lessons. And these are personal, you may add numbers four and five, but these are three that I'm walking away with, okay? You ready? Number one is this, our list of deadly sins is not God's list. (laughs) Oh man, he never consulted me on this right because you would have picked different things right yeah people who get in the checkout lane with 15 items and it clearly says 12 i mean (laughs) right out (laughs) i was in the grocery store once uh, a long time ago and i I, sometimes i'll grocery shop like six in the morning because this is the time that we have and and, and uh, wanted out over breakfast, put this list together, do it before I go into work in the morning. Well, this grocery store that I go to is open all night, but when they're open all night, then they close all the lanes down except for that quick lane. The problem with it is, is I have 99 items at six in the morning. So I don't wanna get in that lane. He go, well, oh, it's okay, there's no one in it. I go, as soon as I get in that lane, someone will come in behind me with three items. I only have 97 to go, you know. And so the whole time I'm in the land, I'm like, okay, if I get in this lane, I'm going to go quick. It never goes quick because they never have the price of Brussels sprouts or they're missing something, you know. And uh, so then I get in that line, and then as soon as they start, I go, oh, he's got three hours. Could you check me out and check him in? Just add his stuff onto mine. Just go, just because I feel bad about that. You see, our list is not God's list. We're offended by the things that don't make his list. And here's the real issue. We rationalize about the very things. We whitewash them. We, we rationalize the things that are at, on his top seven. And so we have to challenge ourselves with the very word that comes from God to look at ourselves honestly. And remember, God doesn't just avoid the haughty eye or the lying tongue or the divisive spirit. It's not that he, oh, I don't prefer that. No, he hates it why does he hate it because he knows it will lead to our demise you get that if you can get that then you'll begin to hate it as well he loves us he knows that we cannot handle it so our list as as deep as it might be is not god's list i have to edit my list to make it god's list that's number one number two this is a battle i will not win i cannot play with this fire and and do it continually and not expect to be burned it will happen you may be playing with a fire for a season and you may go well I've been playing with this fire for a while and I've gotten by yeah I think I can get by and the answer to that is no your demise is out there it will eventually bite you and so forsake it now before it does And by the way, I just need to remind us all that this war that is really happening is not political or geographical. It's not over money or power. It is over the heavenlies. And so Satan and his fallen host, demons and evil spirits that came out of heaven because of the rebellion, and if if you have any awareness at all, there's a spiritual warfare going on. Just know they are not all-knowing they're not omniscient they are not omnipresent all all in all places at all times they are not but they do make it their issue to watch your behavior they can't get inside your head but they can watch your behavior and if they can watch your behavior what's going to happen is they're going to look for the moment you pause or the action or the attitude that you have and they're gonna use that against you one day and they will not use it until they absolutely need it. They'll do it unto you on a day when you are particularly weak and particularly vulnerable. And so this is a battle that you will not win. You can't go, well I got five of the seven. There's two that I like to hang on to. No, you can't. Why? Because the Lord hates them and he knows they're gonna destroy you. And if you guard yourselves on the five, he'll come at you, Satan will come at you with the other two and use them on you. I was talking to a social worker um, once and the social worker worked in a kind of a high-risk area of town. And I said, you, you go to that section of the town? He goes, oh yeah, I go there. I go, you're there into the evening hours. He goes, oh yeah. I said, Do you protect yourself. He goes, no, oh, no. I go, well, why not? He said, because if I carry a gun into that part of the city when I'm doing social work, I'm okay with a gun. I'm all right with that. But I know they're way better. I said, so? But you've got the gun. He goes, but not for long. Oh, really? And the social worker gave me an education that day. He said, if I have a weapon, they'll take it and use it on me. So he said, I'd be better off not having the weapon. Understand this. Don't go there. Don't. Don't carry the weapon thinking you can beat the, the evil one. You cannot. You cannot. You will not win. You will not win because you're not as good as he is. So, number one, we have to edit our list. Number two, we can't fool ourselves into thinking that this is a battle that we're going to win. So, this is why, number three, all this points starting our need to a savior. This is, this is where point number three B is this. I am so glad the Bible doesn't end with Proverbs that we got to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John where Jesus shows up. Aren't you happy? Yeah. Because we need him every day. You need him on the day that you came to him in personal faith and trusting him as savior, but you need him every day after that as well. You need him every hour to make us aware of our opportunity for sin and our proclivity to sin. We need his presence in his partnership for comfort and for strength. We need his power to overcome without pride, but to overcome and know, oh my gosh, I couldn't have stood. Can't do that. I can only do this in the power that that Christ gives me. We need a staying power to keep from thinking that we're ever beyond the moment of sin, because we're not. So we need the Savior, not only the day we trust Jesus, but every day after that, every season after that, every moment after that, we need the Savior. So you may find yourself loaded with guilt only wishing that you could start over you wish you had at one point in your life believed and you never did and my word to you today is this believe him today trust him today as savior open your heart to him i can't give you the words that are exact all i can tell you is you in a moment when we bow for prayer you you ask the lord to save you he'll save you from your sin that's what jesus did when he came to the earth but you have to trust him and then For many, many of us in the room, we say, well, we trust him, but we trusted him for that. And now you realize I need to trust him for every hour of every day because I need the Savior daily, moment by moment. And I turn to him and cling to him maybe more than I ever thought I would. Would you bow with me in prayer? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. And, and Christians, you, you, you may be saying, okay, um, sin's number, the things that God hates, number two and number five. Numbers one, number two, number three. You, you know, you have the notes in front of you and you're saying, oh God, help me. That's exactly where he wants you right now. And he's promised he'll help you. He is our ever-present help, the Bible says, in times of trouble. So you, you lean in on him and ask him. That's number one. Number two could be that you realize, I, I, I need the Savior to save me from hell because I'm carrying my own load. And you open your heart to him now to say, God in heaven, I am so sorry for my sin and I trust Jesus to forgive me. And he promises to do that. But you have to have the choice of opening your heart life to him. We thank you, Lord, that you're not the God of second chances, but a third, fourth, fifth, sixth, 100th, 1,000th chance. And this is it today. May we hate what you hate. May we love what you love. And may we not be known, we pray, as haters, but may we be known as lovers because we have been loved with an everlasting kind of love. And that fills our soul, and we have no taste for the hate. We don't even want it. No desire there. Why? Because we, we know that we are loved with an everlasting love. And we pray this in Christ's name and by the power of your spirit we pray these things. Amen.